0: Amen, well good morning. It's good to see you on this uh, sunny day, amen? Amen. (laughs) The Lord has been good to us on this this day, giving us sunshine and opportunity to celebrate Him, first and foremost. Uh, But also we do wanna just say a word of thanksgiving to God for the gift of our mothers. Um, Certainly grateful to the Lord and His provision, of such wonderful ladies. Um, Is always on Mother's Day, it's always um, a unique opportunity to recognize our mothers, but at the same time, I'm often so sensitive and aware of so many others, maybe people who have recently lost their mothers uh, in death, or even singles uh, who aren't yet married and want to be and long to have that kind of thing, or those who have struggled even with having children. And so we want to be very much Aware of the entire body uh, when we think about days like today because um, God is faithful um, whether or not you are a mom. And so we certainly are so thankful for our mothers, but yet God is so generous in giving us a body of believers that is made up of so many different types of people uh, moms, dads, singles, marrieds, marrieds with kids, marrieds without kids, uh, widowers, and all of the rest. And so Just want to say that uh, as a word of appreciation to them, but aware also of the greater body uh, together today. Well, it's so good to see you. It's good to see Holly Brennan. Uh, It's not Chiang Mai, Thailand, and so she's cold. No, sorry, Uh, it's good to have her back with us today. Uh, She's back in the States now, and so it's good to see her. Um, She's ready to kill me for pointing her out, but um, it's good to see you back. As well, It's good to have a friend of mine, Diego, he's a friend from Brazil, he's staying with us for a few weeks, learning his English, practicing English, so it's great to have him uh, with us today. And so many of you are visiting, we're so thankful and delighted to have you with us here at Redeeming Grace uh, this day that he's given us to worship together. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Since January, we have been walking through the book of Judges together. And we are going to finish the book of Judges in a few weeks, Um, but I want to sort of use the backdrop of Judges and what's going on in Judges to help us understand even this psalm that we're going to consider today, because the spiritual climate in Judges is, is something that we should be learning from. Because the spiritual climate that we have been seeing through the book of Judges takes radical shifts from one generation to the next. One generation is sort of rescued, given a savior of sorts, a judge to lead them, to guide them, and the judge dies, and then the next generation, or even maybe that same generation, but certainly the next generation, falls astray right back into idolatry. And so there's this disconnect, it seems, in Judges between the generations being faithful to the Lord, and so uh, I thought uh, one of the questions that just kept, keeps emerging in my own mind and my own heart as we've been going through Judges is how can we, how can we ensure that our generation and the following generations know the Lord and the work that he has done? Or, let me just simplify that for us, how can we make sure that this generation and the next generation does not lose the gospel? because that's what's happening in Judges. One generation to the next, we have what seems to be people who are repentant, and the very next generation, we have a bunch of idolaters. So how can we be careful and be wise as God's people in making sure that we see him for who he is and that we're communicating that to those people around us and certainly down to the next generation? Well, these are important questions to consider, and I want us to consider that in light of Psalm 145 today. Psalm 145, let me read that, we'll pray, and we're gonna dive right into our focus this morning. Psalm 145, this is the David inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us contemplate the depths of who you are as revealed here in Psalm 145, that Lord, our hearts may be affected, our lives may be transformed, but Lord, that that too would be carried over to the next generation and the next. So Lord, just help us in this time that we have together to see as we need to see and hear as we need to hear for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 145, it's quite a, quite a treasure trove, if you will, of so many things. But as I was thinking about our time together today, and I was thinking about how can we just kind of sort of hit the brakes before our last sermon in Judges, and just consider for a moment, kind of in light of Mother's Day, but this is not just a Mother's Day sermon. This is a sermon for all of you whether you're a mother or not. And so, as we think about our responsibility to ongoing and upcoming generations, David writes in verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another. This is kind of our calling as a generation of saints, a generation of believers. We, collectively, together, have a calling and responsibility and a stewardship to the next generation commending the works of God to them so that they too would follow him and worship him. And so, in light of the failure that we have seen through judges, in light of our own proneness to fail and be anything but a steward, I want us to consider this Psalm in light of commending the works of God to the next generation. And I want us to do it really by answering two questions. What do we commend, and how do we commend it? What do we commend, how do we commend it? We're gonna break that down into two different points and work our way through this psalm today as we consider commending God and his works to our upcoming generations. So, point number one. In order to do this, we must see God rightly. In order for us to be faithful in this generation and faithful to the next generations, we have to see God in a right way. And you say, well pastor, that's obvious. Well, when you consider the world and when you consider even many churches today, it's not so obvious to many because many have a flawed and a distorted view of God. But we have to see God rightly. David says in verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another. And what we need to understand is that you cannot easily separate the works of God from the character of God. So it's not as if we can just jump right into God's activity without considering the very nature and character of who God is. His works flow out of his character. And I think we see that here even in this Psalm. God does what he does because God is who he is. So we must see God rightly So there are a couple of things that we need to consider. One, the greatness of God, and two, the works of God. They're related, they go together, but I want us to temporarily kind of break them apart to consider them and then see how they really are uh, inseparable as we consider commending the next generation, God, as we consider commending him. So let's consider the greatness of God in light of Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is filled with examples of God's attributes. You just read this psalm, just a quick look. Verse one, God is king, he has authority. Verse three, God is great. Indeed, the psalmist says his greatness is unsearchable. God is so massive, he is so great, he is so amazing that you will never exhaust him. You will never wrap him up nice and neatly in a little box, put a little bow on him and say, there is God. He is so great that he is unsearchable. Verse five, the glorious splendor of your majesty. Verse seven, his righteousness. Verse eight, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He is so patient, bounding in steadfast love. Verse 13, he is everlasting, he is kind, he is faithful. Verse 18. He is near. All of these things, I mean it would be enough for us to contemplate any one of these attributes but, but David is stacking them up one after another here in this psalm. He understood the truth of who God was. And I know that one of the problems in Judges and certainly one of the problems in our own hearts is oftentimes we do not have this kind of view of God. Many times we see God for how we want to see him. Sermon from last week. We create him in an image that we think is right and good instead of yielding to his own self-revelation in the word of God to understand him correctly. See the problem in Judges and the problem that Many of us face even today is that many have lost their sense of awe for who God is. They had an awe problem. They had a reverence problem. And the same temptation is true for you and me. Friends, we we never want to be a people merely content with mediocrity when it comes to the glory and greatness of God. We too can lose our sense of awe, our sense of excitement, our sense of celebration about God if we aren't careful. A quote from Kevin DeYoung that I saw just the other day. It says, if you do not fear the Lord, he writes, if you do not trust the Lord, then surely you have not seen his great power or you have seen and forgotten. How many of you remember the first time you drove over Solomon's Bridge, whatever the name of the bridge is. Remember your first time? I remember my first time. That first time is not about the glory and awe of God. It's like, I hope we make it safely over the bridge, right? But you know, after I got over that kind of that first trip over the bridge and realizing, okay, I'm going to live to tell about it, it's a glorious view, isn't it? Sunny, clear day, no humidity. I mean, you can even see the eastern shore if you're looking. Not while you're driving, please don't do that. That's one of the reasons I actually like to be a passenger going over Solomon's Bridge because I'm just, I'm still, t- five years later, almost five years later, into being here, I'm just still amazed. I just wanna look at the beauty of God's creation and the glory of his name. It's a beautiful scene, it's a beautiful sight, and, but if you're not careful, if you make that trip daily, maybe some of you make that trip daily or, or on a regular basis, that beauty and that glory can quickly become nothing. Instead, what you see instead of God's beauty and God's glory is you see a narrow bridge that needs to be widened. You see a line of cars that need to hurry. And that is your sense of your Solomon's Bridge experience. It's more experience of the mundane or the frustrating things that are in your way or, or you just kind of see it for, for what it is, how it's impacting your schedule and your commute. And I think that oftentimes we can lose our sense of reverence and awe of God in the very same way. His glory is on display. His greatness is unsearchable. His power is magnificent. He is awesome to behold and yet, We often get into the mundane affairs of life and we don't see his glory like we once did. We don't behold him for who he truly is. We simply see the frustrations of life. Friends, listen, you cannot celebrate or commend something you do not see. You cannot celebrate or commend something that you do not see. You you cannot commend something or someone that you do not feel the weight and glory of. Psalm 145, I'm convinced, is inspired of the Holy Spirit to help us keep seeing God. It's here for your good. It's here for, for you not to lose perspective for the greatness and glory of who God is. here to help keep our reverence and awe of God in place. Paul Tripp wrote a book, actually is a book entitled Dangerous Calling. It's written more for those who are going into ministry, but it has a chapter in that book on familiarity. And I think it's applicable to all of us. He says that all amnesia, reverence amnesia, all amnesia is the open door to mediocrity. And then he later writes, We must be committed, we must be committed to do anything that we can to be that generation that commends God's works, his glory, to the next generation so that they may be rescued and motivated by a glory bigger than the typical catalog of glories they would choose for themselves. Let me say that again. We must be committed to do anything that we can to be that generation that commends God's works, his glory to the next generation so that we may be rescued so that they may be rescued and motivated by a bigger glory than the typical catalog of glories they would choose for themselves friends people will choose certain glories for themselves that are so so much a far cry from the glory and satisfying nature of God. Think about this, if your awe of God is not what it should be, then should you find it surprising that your children and your friends also don't have an awareness of the glory and power of God? If you think little of God, should you find it surprising that your children or your grandchildren also think little and lightly of God? Brothers and sisters, people do not need to see a familiar God, a mediocre kind of deity. They need to see a Psalm 145, God, Evident in your own heart, evident in your own life. They need to see the mighty, the glorious, the awesome, the righteous, the faithful, the gracious, the kind, the everlasting, the sovereign God. I wonder what they see. I wonder what they see in your heart and in your life. The greatness of God. That's what we need to see and behold and that needs to be evident. But also the works of God, they go hand in hand. Works of God flow out of the character of God. Specifically here the psalmist refers to us commending God's works. And even right here in Psalm 145, we do not run short of examples of his works, do we? Verse four, his mighty acts. Verse five, his wondrous works. Verse six, his awesome deeds. Verse seven, his abundant goodness. Notice the adjectives describing these these characteristics or these works of God. These are not just acts. These are mighty acts. These are not just works. These are wondrous works. These are not just deeds. These are awesome deeds. These are not just goodness. This is abundant goodness. Verse 12, his mighty deeds. Verse 13, he's faithful in all his words, kind in all his works. Verse 14, he upholds those who are falling. He raises up those who are bowed down. Verse 16, he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Verse 18, he is near to us. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He preserves all those who love him. But for those who are wicked, he will destroy. Friends, this is the God that we are called to commend. We are called to commend the works of this great God. But listen, you will not commend one that you neither value or know. I wonder if you have beheld in your own life these wondrous works of God. The fact that God is an amazing creator, that he is sovereign over all creation, that he has made the heavens and the earth, and that he upholds and sustains everything that we could ever see or know just by his own power. He upholds it. So what's gravity keeping me here? It's God keeping you here. He created gravity, he, he's, he's, he's great, he's awesome, he's glorious, he is the creator and sustainer of all life. He created you and me in his image to reflect his glory, to reflect his character. But we've rebelled against him. We've fallen short of his glory. We have tarnished his image in our own rebellion against him by sinning against him by falling short the bible says all of us are this way all of us sin and fall of fallen short of the glory of god that is the reality for each and every one of us but the wonderful truth of the Bible. The wonderful truth that we were singing of this morning is that God has not left us in our sin to perish once and for all, but because of his abundant goodness, because he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, because he is gracious and merciful, he has sent his own son into the world to live a life of absolute perfection, never sinned, never fell short of his own father's glory he obeyed perfectly but yet died upon a cross he died he died for sin not his sin but the sin of the world he took upon himself he took upon the sin that we have committed the judgment that we deserved he took upon himself bearing that sin bearing that weight so that our lives could be fully redeemed simply by trusting in what he's accomplished if you don't know Christ, that is exactly what God has done for you. If you don't know this God that we're talking about in Psalm 145, this is the God of of the Bible. This is the only true God and this is his provision for sinners. If you would simply look to Jesus and trust in him and believe in him, your sins will be forgiven and you will be given everlasting life. You will be given the eyes to see and behold this God. You cannot commend this God if you yourself do not know him and see him for who he is. See the temptation for us when we think about commending God's works and God's nature, God's character to the next generation, our temptation is to immediately become pragmatist and say, okay, how can we do this and just focus on the next generation? Friends, don't forget that these truths ought to be stirring in your own heart. If you neglect your own heart in an attempt to try to invest in the next generation, you're not going to invest well in the next generation. We must consider our own hearts before we can adequately invest in the next generation. So, how often do you acknowledge God's mighty works? How often do you acknowledge confessing to others, admitting to others, acknowledging to others God's power, God's mighty works, his goodness, his faithfulness? Even in our normal conversations, This doesn't have to be a special God conversation. It should be natural in most conversations that we have. How often does the greatness and glory and power and majesty of God just kind of pop up in your conversations? Or is this greatness and glory and majesty of God only something you verbalize in a song on Sunday morning? Friends, there's so many ways that we can do this, even in the simple act of giving thanks before a meal, is an opportunity to acknowledge God's goodness and kindness in providing for us. In fact, it's arrogant not to do that. It's arrogant to just jump right in and just to assume and presume upon the riches of God's kindness to us. God is kind to all, verse nine says that. He is good to all. He he extends common grace to all mankind. There's, There's not one person on the planet that has not been a recipient of the kindness of God in some way. Not one. But friends, if you have been a recipient of his saving grace, how much you have to commend to others. If our lives will ever be in a right posture towards God and if the next generation has any hope of having a right understanding of having God commended them appropriately, God commending to them appropriately, then it will in part depend upon how you and I think about and see God for who he is. William Plummer, he's a Presbyterian minister in the early 1800s, said this about the greatness of God and its impact on our lives. He said, nothing has a more pernicious effect on character than low thoughts of God. We should on many accounts labor to have just and elevated views of his excellent greatness. Unless we have great thoughts of God, listen to this, unless we have great thoughts of God, our sin will be low, our sense of obligation feeble and our praises dull. And if your worship of God, if your service to God, if your awareness even of your own sin is lacking, it is because you have a watered down vision of God in some way what he says, I think it's right. Unless we have great thoughts of God, our sin will be low, we'll not think much of your sin. Our sense of obligation feeble, not much to it, and our praise is dull. Friends, we are called to see God rightly. Until we see God rightly, we cannot expect that our own lives will be transformed and our own commitment to the next generation will be good. Number two, we must commend God faithfully. Until you see God rightly, you will not commend him faithfully. You have to get these in order, right? It's kind of in order today. So we're called as, we, as a result of seeing God rightly, we are now called and commissioned and now have the responsibility and stewardship to commend him faithfully. The word commend in verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another. That word commend is much more than just a simple recommendation. I recommend God to you. It's much more than just a retelling of events or restating of doctrine. In fact, if you read in verses six through seven, we see the psalmist use several words to describe this commendation. Speak, declare, verse six. Verse seven, pour forth or, again, now V says, abundantly utter, celebrate, sing aloud. This is how we commend God. So how do we do this? Three things that we see from this passage about commending God faithfully. We do this, number one, through our words. That's obvious, right? We do commend God through our words, but it will be no less than words. We speak, we declare. Words must certainly be used in commending God to others in some fashion, some shape or another. That means that our words, our conversations, must include some kind of Acknowledgement of God and his greatness, his character, his works, and even our instructing of other people. And that, not, that ought not to be strange. The point is, is that when we speak and declare God to others, this, this is not something that we do only at certain times in our life. This ought to be the normal kind of conversations that we have with people that are around us. The Bible actually instructs us how to do this, and so, Parents, moms, dads, Deuteronomy chapter six, you may know this passage very well. I want us to be reminded of it this morning. This is exactly one of the ways that you can commend God to others, especially those who are younger, the the children that God has given you or given you access to. This is what we find there in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Moses speaking to Israel that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, there's the generations, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers has promised you, the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Circle that word diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is not just a Sunday morning Sunday school lesson that you take your kids to, is it? Praise God for Sunday school teachers. But moms and dads have a responsibility to invest into their children all the time. You parents, you moms, you dads have the primary discipling responsibility of your children. It's not the church's primary responsibility to disciple your children. It is your primary responsibility to disciple your children. The church will come alongside and compliment and help and assist and equip you and aid you to do that, but it is your responsibility to disciple your children in this way. So I just wanna ask you, ask you as a parent, if you're here today and you're a parent, do your children see the glory of God as your chief and supreme delights? Or do they see your career as more glorious? Do they see God's glory or do they see a devotion and a commitment to materialism? Do they see God's glory, His glory, that His his majesty, his, His authority is your supreme pursuit and obsession or do they see you more obsessed with other things? to commend the next generation through our words. Psalm 78, we see the same thing in verses five through eight. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God." Friends, listen, I think sometimes we we settle as this generation, and we just somehow hope that our next generation, our children after us, will, will have some kind of faith. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? Psalmist is actually saying that that we should long for the next generation to have a greater faith than ours. And this is not just for parents. All of us have a responsibility to invest in the next generation. Yes, parents, you have that responsibility to disciple your children, but if you're not a parent, if you're here today, maybe you're married without kids, or maybe you're single, maybe, maybe something else, some other scenario, but what a blessing. You can be to others. Praise God for people like you. Come alongside of these weary parents that are just looking like a dazed and confused person that has no idea what's coming next. You can actually come alongside of them and help them and push them along and make sure that they're doing okay. Praise God for people like you. Titus 2 teaches us that the older shall instruct the younger. Even those who are married without kids or even those who are single, what a blessing you can be to the next generation. You have a role to play and it is vital. It is vital. In my own family, we have seen this time and time again. Even right now, a young lady in our church, I know Austin and Eleanor have been visiting our church and attending regularly. And Eleanor works with Young Life. I think she's there speaking something today or something like that. Austin, Austin's here. But... It's been a blessing to see this young married couple without kids yet coming alongside of my own family to invest in my own children. Every week, Eleanor takes my daughter, Rachel, 6.30 in the morning before school and leads her and other girls through a Bible study together. It's a blessing, it's a blessing to see this kind of thing multiplied throughout the congregation, multiplied throughout the church. This is exactly what we're called to do, to invest in the next generation. Praise God that these kinds of things are happening. Friend, what are you doing to commend God to others? Who is it that you're speaking to? All we're talking about is simple discipleship. This is all we're talking about, just simple discipling of other people, investing in other people well, so that this generation flourishes and the next generation flourishes even more by the grace of God. Praise God for this. We do it through our words. Number two, we do it through our worship. We commend God through our worship. We do it through our worship. In verse seven, we see, they shall pour forth, or abundantly utter, celebrate. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Yes, through even our singing, we are commending God to other people. In his book, Rhythms of Grace, Mike Cosper, worship leader at Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky, he identifies three audiences present during worship, three audience that are present during a worship service. And here are the three audiences. Now, a lot of times we think, well, there's one audience and that's God he identifies three audiences. He says certainly God is the supreme and most important object and focus of our worship. Right. God is the focus and object of our worship in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 and 29. We read, "Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe." At all, for God is a consuming fire. God is to be One that we worship. He is the focus and the center of our worship. But there's a second audience. That audience is the church. When you read passages like Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, it becomes clear that one of the things happening in corporate singing of God's praises is that yes, we are singing to God, but we're also singing to one another. Do you realize that? When you're singing... You are singing to God about God, but you're also commending God to those around you. We're singing to one another. He says in his book, our presence and participation is not merely for the sake of our individual relationship with God, but it's also for our brothers' and sisters' sake. Our participation in the gathering is a testimony and encouragement to them. Corporate worship is just another way you can commend God to others, and so listen. If you're singing lightly or standing there like the frozen chosen, praise God, I'm saved. That's not very commendable. Praise God, I'm saved. Does God look very glorious? Amen. Friends, if you aren't singing, you are not commending God. In fact, your silence is quite instructive about the kind of God you serve. And let that resonate, and let that settle, let that affect your own heart. Many ways that we can sing, many ways that we could and should appropriately, biblically express ourselves in worship. Friend, do you realize that you're commending God, this Psalm 145 kind of God to those around you? We do it through our worship. So God is, uh, he's one of the main audience, the church is another audience, and then the world. It's often the case that unbelievers are present when the church gathers. And again, if you look more like you have indigestion instead of being caught up in the praise and worship of God, then what are you commending to lost people? Tim Keller says the world needs to clearly and coherently see the gospel celebrated. They need that. So we commend God through our worship and then number three, through our witness. In verse 10 and 12, we see that. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, verse 12, to make known, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. In verse 10 and 12, David makes clear that one of the joyful obligations the saints have is to Tell of God's power and to make known to the children of man his mighty deeds. Commending God to the next generation means, one of the things it means is that we will work hard for conversion. Evangelism. Now, we cannot do the converting. God is sovereign, He saves people. You can't save a soul, you couldn't even save yourself. God must save you. God is sovereign in drawing people to himself and only the one that can take out the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. He's the only one that can transform lives. But friends, if your commendation to others is is not communicating even to lost people, here's how you can know God. Because then we're not commending him. God converts, but we certainly must tell. God converts, but we commend Amen? We do it through our witness. Through our words, through our worship, through our witness. We see that this is how we commend God to other people and we should be doing that regularly and often. And so as we conclude this morning, let me end with two questions. Are you seeing God rightly? Are you seeing God in a right manner? and are you commending God faithfully? Is your awe of God healthy and increasing? I mean, you you, you don't kind of cap out on awe, right? You don't kind of reach kind of, oh, I'm full now. Is your awe of him healthy? Is it increasing or is it stagnant? Has your God become too familiar to you? More like a bridge than beauty. Friend, if so, there's nothing magical about rekindling your awe of God. Simply confess to him your apathy. Confess to him, God. Sometimes my prayers are, God, I don't see you as I need to see you. I'm not beholding your glory like I need to behold your glory, I'm not seeing you, God. Forgive me. Ask him to give you eyes to see him rightly. Praise him daily, verse two, every day, every day I will bless you and praise your name, how long, two weeks. No, forever and ever. It's a daily and eternal activity. We just get together on Sundays and do it together. This is something that we're doing all the time. Are you you seeing him? And if not, confessing that, that, that staleness in your own heart, asking him to give you eyes to see, praising him daily, meditating on him. Don't just think about him. Kind of as a passing thought, verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, your character and your works. Verse five, I will meditate. Meaning I will stop and I will contemplate and I will consider and I will pause and think long and hard and deep on who God is. enlist enlist other people to come alongside and help you. Are you seeing him for who he is? Are you commending him faithfully? I mean, what kind of legacy will you live? Moms, what kind of legacy will you live? And what kind of legacy will you leave? Dads, those of you who may not have children, or maybe your children are up and gone, It's your legacy to the next generation? What is, what is it that, that people see? Will it be a legacy that's rooted in a deep, confident, robust faith in a mighty, sovereign, majestic, eternal, gracious, generous, merciful, faithful God whose greatness is unsearchable? Unchurch- is that the kind of God that, that you're presenting to your children and your children's children and those around you? Or is it just kind of a mediocre God that's going to leave the next generation malnourished? and settle for less, and less, and less. Friends, by God's grace, may our children and our children's children be given a vision of God and his amazing splendor in a way that is faithful to him. May our resolve be That as the people of God, as he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, stubborn and rebellious generation generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Friends, may our resolve be to do just that, that we will commend God, that we will be found faithful in commending God to others, but commending the right God to others by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we... So much more can be said about who you are. Lord, we will never, never exhaust you. We can spend a lifetime, we could spend a lifetime in Psalm 145 and just begin to scratch the surface of your immeasurable worth. Father, my my plea today is that that this congregation would be a congregation that sees you rightly and commends you faithfully. God, that we would be a people, a people who have been brought out of darkness into your marvelous light. That we would be a people found faithful proclaiming the excellencies of your greatness. That we would be a people who declare with our words, celebrate with our worship and commend through our witness. The glory and the greatness of God. God made the next generation be better off because of the faithfulness of this generation. So, Lord, would you do in our hearts what we need? Call us to repentance in any way that we need to repent. Awaken our dry and, and lifeless souls to a new understanding, a, a more faithful understanding of your glory and your greatness. Lord, would you revive our hearts so that we would see you for who you are and celebrate you in a way that commends you to others so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, and the next generation and the, until Jesus comes will continue in faithfulness serving and celebrating this great and glorious God. God, you are so amazing. Lord, help us not just to say that and believe that in our own hearts. Help us, Lord, to now commend it wherever we go. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together this morning. As we think about this great God, let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond to him.